1: I know victor rojas but i bet you know his dad former royal star cookie rojas victor grew up here in kansas city and is now the tv voice of the anaheim angels but kansas city is still his home and seeing the chiefs win the super bowl is one of his best sports moments ever not only is victor a phenomenal broadcaster he's an entrepreneur as well here's the story of kansas city native victor rojas well, it really is always cool to see somebody who grew up here in Kansas City do well. And every time I turn around, Victor Rojas, you're doing something different, whether it's making t-shirts, whether it's doing family videos, or sometimes I find myself on a Friday night having a glass of vodka, watching you on TV, talking Angels baseball. I always find you doing something different, man. Life's been good to you since you uh, kind of grew up here in KC and moved on, hasn't it been?
0: Yeah, it's been all right. You, you, you I kind of... I stopped listening when you, when you said vodka. I'm like, I started thinking about Tito's all of a sudden. I don't know what it was. Yeah, th- things have gone well, man. It's been uh, been fun, interesting. 2020 has been an interesting year, to say the least, for everybody. And I think, um, you know, we've used the pandemic and try to come up with different ways of creating some content, And as far as the family's concerned, from a business perspective. And then uh, doing my thing out in uh, Southern California with the Angels still. So it's crazy that this is uh, my 11th season out here already. It's flown by.
1: It really has. And, and did you ever think when you were a little kid running around the Royals clubhouse, you'd be actually calling games? Was that kind of your end goal? Was that kind of your dream?
0: No, my dream was to actually be wearing a Royals uniform and getting a chance to play for them. And I thought, I thought that was going to be a possibility in uh, 1989 when I finished my sophomore year in college. A lot of talk as far as the Royals possibly drafted me out of a junior college in uh, California, and it never came to fruition. But that was, that was my dream was to uh, to, to play for the Royals, and, uh, and then after that, obviously, to try to go work for the Royals in some fashion. So I, the broadcasting thing didn't happen for a while, man. I was 32 years old when I finally decided that I wanted to try my hand at broadcasting, and here I am almost 20 years ago, you know, to the point where uh, <laughs> I, think I've done, uh, I think I've done all right. It was a pretty good decision to make at that point.
1: Yeah, so so what was it like growing up as a kid, man, around all those guys—the George Bretts of the world, the Freddie Pateks, of course, your dad. I mean, what what was it like being a kid, being around some great baseball players?
0: It, it was really cool. It was super hot on that turf, that's for sure, in the summertime, man. Yeah, you sure. switch your, uh, your tailpipe off, especially Shag and BP in, the, in that hot summer uh, months of Kansas City. But it was it was fantastic. I mean, you, you know, back then, without social you, know, like you, you, know, you had no idea I didn't have an idea really that dad was famous or what he did I knew that was his job and it wasn't honestly I tell the story all the time fifth grade Mrs. Sheets at Stanley Elementary School in Stanley Kansas she all of a sudden was reading this book um, and it's called Unsung Heroes and there's a chapter in this book about my dad and I'm thinking that's the first time it dawned on me like my dad's famous like this is this is pretty cool and I didn't get a deeper appreciation for that until he got into coaching and then later on as I got a little bit older in high school in Blue Valley so um, but being a, a chance to go and be around George when he was really young and first in the big leagues and, you know, being in Buck Martinez's wedding, uh, you know, just stuff like that. It was, it was things that you don't really see all that often anymore. You know, I remember, you know, Sunday, uh, Sunday after late Sunday afternoons after home games, there'd be, you know, a, at someone's house, like out in the country somewhere, a barbecue and just players and families getting together and just kind of enjoying it. I, unfortunately, because players are so young today, uh, you don't really get that until later on. Um, but I was really lucky to have grown up in a time where uh, you still had that family, that, that community, and, and being around the, the baseball field and being able to watch all these kids grow up, including BMAC. Brian McCrae was one of the kids who ran around with me. Uh, Barry Otis, uh, Jen Splidorf. Uh, these are all people that I've still
1: connected with. Uh, to this day. So I want to know more about the book that your dad was in, and, and Unsung Heroes. Why was there a chapter featured on him, and, and and what were you like when all of a sudden your teachers reading about him?
0: Uh, I was freaking out, to be perfectly honest, because I didn't know. Uh, yeah, th- it's this book. I think Joe Rudy's in the book too, and I don't remember who else is in it. But I just, I for some reason I can I can picture the uh, the cover of the book, I and mean, it's called Unsung Heroes. And I, I have no idea who published it or why my dad was in there, but I think the whole point of it is, is that there, there's this, you know, the scrappy type of personality that my dad is and was, uh, at, at, especially at that point of his career, towards the end of his career. Retired in seventy seven, and so, and that was in when I was in fifth grade, and so I, I think the story of him coming to this country from Cuba and carving out a baseball career, five foot ten. Uh, a guy that was willing to play at any position, and he did play all nine positions at the Major League level at one point with the Philadelphia Phillies, and was willing to do whatever it took to kind of to help the team along. And I think I think that's why the fan base in Kansas City really took a liking to my dad. One, that he had a pretty cool name and it was easy for people to remember. But two, he was that veteran presence as a, as that young team, that expansion team started in 69. And as they started to get good, he was that that calming presence that kind of helped bring all these young, talented players up to the big leagues and have them succeed.
1: You, you, you mentioned the, the fans of Kansas City, and, and Mike Matheny joins us every Wednesday on the show, and he was talking about, you know, Trevor Rosenthal, who obviously grew up here in Kansas City, now playing for the Royals and whatnot, but he talked about how special it was to play in Kansas City, and then I look across the parking lot, and I see Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and, you know, uh, Sammy Watkins and Chris Jones and all these guys taking less money to stay here in Kansas City. Why did your dad like it here so much?
0: We all love it. And I still call Kansas City home. Everybody asks me where I grew up. And it's like I I rave about where I grew up. I think the people, uh, the area, uh, the community that you always felt, you felt safe. uh, You felt that there was support there. Um, And I think that's probably why you get that feeling that uh, players to this day kind of still feel that way, that they want to stay there and they have something special. And I think I think the bond of Kansas City is on both sides. You, know, you say Kansas City and you, you, people think you're only talking about Missouri, but I'm talking about the whole metropolitan area that obviously sprawls into Kansas a great deal as well. But I, I, there's this connectivity among Kansas Cityans that if you're from there or you're one of us, we're going to take care of you. And I think that's hard to find in a lot of different cities. Uh, you know. And, and I think that's the beauty of it. And, um, whether it's the plaza lighting ceremony that still goes on every Thanksgiving, or I, I, I don't know, man, the Stanley Stampede. I grew up with the Stanley Stampede, the old Main Street thing when the city shuts down and you're just there all day. I, it's hard to find. And I talk about that still to this day glowingly. As a matter of fact, we almost, when we were in California, my first year here was in 2010. We lived out here for the first five years. And we decided we wanted to move to the Midwest. And I, my kids and my family loved going back to Kansas City. We were season ticket holders for the Chiefs, and they loved going back there. As a matter of fact, the first place we talked about moving back to was Kansas City, and they were all in. Um, but then it became this uh, logistical nightmare for me if I wanted to come home on an off day. I'd have to go to LAX to fly Southwest or connect through Dallas and so we went back to the Dallas Fort Worth area where we live, and so. But we we love going to Kansas City, love spending time there, have a lot of friends there, and I stay in touch. I just, I don't know if there's any one word that could really tell the story of Kansas City other than uh, the connectivity and the community that, that surrounds it
1: well and, and it's not just lip service because I know when when the Chiefs are playing you're you're one of the people I hear from every Sunday about what's going on in that game I mean yeah. like it, it, it's it, it, no it's great I, I love it I love I love hearing from people during the games because it makes me think of I think the same type of things and usually you know usually we're kind of on the same page with a lot of stuff yeah. but 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 to see that you still have that connectivity to the Chiefs and, and how you were still you know a season ticket holder even not living here in Kansas City and how important that was for you that just goes to show you what that that franchise truly means to the city, what sports mean in this town too. I always tell people sports in Kansas city mean more than it does in a place like Los Angeles or a place like maybe uh, Miami or someplace like that where people truly aren't from sports brings everybody together in this town.
0: Yeah. And and there's somehow no matter how big Kansas city, the metropolitan area grows in Kansas city, it'll always be a small town. And I I think that's a tribute to the people really that, that mindset of we, we are a, you know, Big city, whatever, but small town mentality. And I, and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. I, I love that. I wish we had more of that across our country, to be perfectly honest with you. We take pride in, in your community and, and, and the people around you and your neighbors. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I, that's why I wanted to show my kids, um, they've lived in a lot of different places. Uh, I don't know if that's fortunate for them or bad, but uh, from New Jersey being at MLB Network to Texas when I was with the Rangers, back to Texas now to Southern California, they've been to Kansas city. So they've seen, you know, different parts of the country and lived in those different parts of the country. And they, they've connected with Kansas city, even though they've never lived there. Um, But through me, I've been able to share with them how much I loved growing up uh, in the farmlands there on the Kansas side. And uh, I just, if I had, seriously, I, I could go there. My wife says that she would move to Arizona in a heartbeat just because she loves the mountains and the desert and the like. She would move to Kansas City in a heartbeat as well just because they feel like they're a part of that community. The people in Kansas City, every time we've gone there, friends or otherwise, they have always made them feel as part of the community.
1: So how excited were you on February 3rd when you woke up and realized, oh my God, the Chiefs are Super Bowl champs. <laughs>
0: February third was my fifty-second birthday, so it was a damn good surprise. I felt really, really good, man, to watch that game. Uh, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was one of those games where you felt like, no matter what the score was, that you still felt in it somehow. On I, I, and you've see, you've, see, you've had my text. You've gotten the brunt of my text on Sundays, man. Yeah. Where I feel like, yeah, we're done. This game's over with. Whatever, Andy, read this. Andy, read that. Uh, but for whatever reason at the Super Bowl, it just, I never really got to that point. Now, maybe it's because I had people at the house and I had to watch my language a little bit more so. Uh, and I was a little bit more tempered. But it was just an amazing – that third down play, uh, I just – I was over the moon. At that point, I just knew that they were, there's no way they're not going to win that game. And I just – it was so much fun to wake up to. It was the best birthday present I could ever have asked for. Did you cry? I did not cry i uh I thought about it, but I did not cry i just i was so the the stupid grin on my face i just couldn't i felt like I was a joker yeah couldn't get rid of it. That, that's what it was it was just like this amazing feeling it was so cool to watch to finally watch this team and um and and still as the off season plays out and still see all of these guys back together again and 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 wanting to be a part of it and not just paying lip service to You know, the community or, you know, the dynasty thing, but actually coming together and seeing that, hey, let's let's see if we can do this again.
1: Well, and and that's rare, as you know, being around baseball for as long as you have. I think baseball players and football players are are different. Baseball players surely chase that dollar every chance they get. And then you talk to them years later and they're like, I should have stayed in Kansas City. I really had a lot of fun there. We did a kind of a 2015 reunion during the pandemic with all the guys that played on that team, Hosmer, Moose, Kane, everybody that was on that team and they're all like, yeah, we're having fun now, but dot, 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 that time in Kansas City was right. really, really cool and really, really special and it's its just not, it's, it's, it's unique to see right now that these guys truly want to create a dynasty for themselves. Like, they're big on creating a dynasty and winning as many championships to become the best ever and you don't normally see that in professional sports.
0: Yeah, and, and, I, and I truly believe that it's not only for themselves, but it is for the community. I, I really believe that they feel in their heart of hearts they've got something very special there and 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 that's not taking anything away from all the fan bases across you know across the country and every city's got their own little niche and i think that's great for them but i i don't know man the the love the fans have for the Royals um and the chiefs is amazing i mean I mean, for the Kansas City Comets when they were playing indoor soccer, for the Kansas City Kings when they were playing basketball, you know, the, it, it's their own. It's, and I think that's the beauty of the T-bones for Pete's sake. I just, I just think that if you're there and a part of it, uh, I think the city rallies around it. As long as, you know, the, the team is doing the right thing by the community, I think the community is obviously going to be there and support it as well. And I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah, sure, the guys want – they want the almighty dollar. I get it. That's what professional sports is all about. Um, but I truly feel, and, and I think it really starts with Andy, number one, and, and Patrick, number two. And you've got this superstar, iconic type of player mm-hmm. that, that genuinely wants to be in Kansas City, genuinely wants to win here, and not just win once and go, win and, and be here for a long period of time, and, and kind of be the, the Tom Brady of Kansas City. Um, and I, certainly, he's on his way to doing that. For me, it's always been Lenny Dawson, right? I grew up with Lenny Dawson. That that was my guy. And I just, Patrick Mahomes can be so great in that town and and, and elevate the status of Kansas City um, like no other player probably could. I mean, George did a pretty good job, but I think it's a different world now. Patrick's had a chance to really put Kansas City on the map.
1: And and you're around a superstar every day. Well, at least you were back when you were you know at the ballpark every day. In, in Mike Trout, what's he like as a superstar? Does he embrace that superstar role like Patrick Mahomes has kind of embraced it, or does does he not embrace it as much as maybe Mahomes? He,
0: he's not as outgoing as Patrick is uh, when it comes to that stuff. I mean, Mike's a great dude. He's super easy to talk to. He's funny. Uh, he loves to joke around. He's he's kind of that uh, that sneaky, you know. Smart alecky kind of guy, and uh, but when it comes to putting himself out there or uh, taking a stance or a platform, he's more of a reserved personality. But he's always been that way. It's not like this is not anything new. Uh, he's not shying away from one topic versus the other. He's always been that kind of a, a close knit guy. Everyone talks about him being the. Uh, I believe the commissioner said something a couple of years ago and talking about. Uh, not a negative comment towards Mike, but you know, if Mike doesn't want to put himself out there, it's difficult to market. I, I, I find fault in that statement. I think that's major league baseball's problem, not Mike Trout's problem. um, Because you have to deal with the personality. Whereas Patrick is, is out there. He's not afraid to go out and do a GQ uh, interview and, and pose on the cover and, and express himself with the clothes that he wears and the glasses and the hair. I think that's cool, man. I think there's nothing wrong with that because there's good intent there's you know he's got a kind big heart and you can see that when he speaks uh whether it's in print or in person and and I, i wish more people got a chance to see what mike trout is really all about um and i think in due time they probably will but that's he's always been more of a quiet reserved personality i think that comes from jeff and debbie his parents in uh in southern new jersey
1: well, and, and, and when, when I look at Patrick Mahomes, I go back to, I think it was a quote by Tyron Matthew earlier this week, and he's like, he, he doesn't know how good he really is. And is Mike Trout that way, too? Does Mike Trout know how good he really is as a baseball player?
0: I, I think I would normally would say, yes, he does. But I, I, I believe that he's at the point of his career, and he got three MVPs, right? Uh, you know, how, how much better can you really get? But here's a guy that every year he's working on something to better his game. You know, he, he, he got knocked around quite a bit. He's getting knocked around still for, you know, defensive metrics don't really like Mike Trout. But he has made a, a sense of it uh, the last couple of years to go out and work on his throwing arm, work on his routes, and so on and so forth. When he really doesn't have to because he's Mike Trout, right? He's the best player in baseball. Um, but he's constantly evolving. Uh, he's, a, he's a different guy every single spring. Uh, as if to check yet another box. I want to try to accomplish this. I want, this is my goal. And and there's always constant goal setting for him. And so I think it's important for him. I don't, I don't believe, um, and it's hard without getting inside the mind of an individual, what they really truly want. Do they want to seek immortality? Um, I was having this conversation with Mark Goob, who's my broadcast partner, and obviously a Royal Hall of Famer uh, the other day, talking about Mike. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Mike, at the end of his contract, said, I'm done. You know, I'm not not worried about becoming this immortal in baseball. Um, I mean, he's well on his way just based on what he's been able to do. Um, but I don't think that's his goal. I don't, you know, and uh, everyone's wound differently. So I just, the fact that he continues to tweak things and change things to tells me that he still still wants to perform at the highest level every single day and, and win as many games as possible.
1: You know, one of the other things you, you're involved in now, and, and I think it's really cool, is you're an entrepreneur. And, you know, in, in the broadcasting industry, you always got to find another way to make a buck. But you guys are, 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 I think, crushing it with some of your t-shirts. You've got your, your pine tar shirt on that, uh, that I'm looking at right now, the, the fresh pine tar for George Brett. What's the t-shirt business like? What's the entrepreneurial side of, of Victor Rojas like? Because I think it's fascinating to see you kind of go out on your own and, and do this and have some success with it, too.
0: Yeah, the, the whole idea was for us to, really for my wife and I, Kim, to, to kind of show the kids the entrepreneurial spirit, kind of teach them what it's like to um, have an idea, go through the concept, um, and, and take it to fruition and make it, you know, make it see if it, uh, if it works from a business perspective. And I've always had kind of that mindset. My, my wheels are always turning. Uh, an idea guy. I don't remember the movie uh, Night Shift uh, with Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler. He's, there's I'm, I'm an idea guy, right? I'm always thinking, I'm always trying to tweak things. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we had this uh, thought of wanting to do something with Big Fly. Big Fly is my home run call and has been for years. And mm-hmm. um, we just didn't know what it was. And then we, we settled on the apparel industry and to be doing t-shirts specifically we wanted to do something that was different, not just, you know, come up with cute sayings or uh, graphics and, and selling those. But we wanted to have something that um, we could share the history of the game with and thus create some sort of community where you could pass along the information and story tell, uh, with your neighbor or a friend or who just a, a random person on the street. Uh, Being a storyteller myself as a broadcaster, I thought this was the best way to do it. And so we came up with this concept of uh, a person, place, and or moment in baseball history revolving around the home run and then creating a one of a kind graphic that tells the story. So we don't, we don't have a Major League Baseball license. We don't have a Players Association license. We don't use players' looks, likeness, names, or anything like that. We create true art, one of a piece, uh, one of a kind art that tells the story. And for us, you know, George Brett, the pine tar, uh, we've done 755 is our Hank Aaron tribute. The number alone says it. Uh, we did the number four train, which is our Lou Gehrig tribute. We just rolled out the Hebrew hammer, which is our Hank Greenberg tribute shirt. Um, and we're having fun doing it. We launched in February of 2019. Uh, the pandemic certainly didn't help things. We just launched our Millville meteor, which is our Mike Trout uh, shirt. And uh, that was in mid February, uh, late February. And then, you know, by Two, three weeks later, we were all in shutdown mode, didn't know what was going on, and obviously that's affected sales. Somehow, though, we've been able to kind of stay ahead of pace from a revenue perspective uh, compared to last year. Um, I don't know. That's maybe because people were trapped at home and they want, still wanted to do some shopping and the like, and we're, we're thrilled with that. But I just, I, I just would have liked to have seen what the ramp up would have been had the pandemic not happened and we had carried that momentum of Millville Meteor into the season uh, and had it started on time and then kind of build off of that. So, like I said, we just put out our uh, – George Brett was about a month ago. Hank Greenberg just is going to come out – well, we put it out for pre-sale. It's coming out next week, and we're working on our Mickey Mantle, which will be out for for the holiday season.
1: Well, who does the artwork? Is it you guys? Do you contract somebody out? Because I think they're pretty good looking. I want to give you credit if you're the guy designing all this stuff.
0: No, I'm not the one that designs them. I don't have that, uh, that capability. I, I, I do conceptualize everything. It's, you know, so it comes out of my head. Uh, we have a designer I hooked up with. So back in 2017, I met a, an angel fan online through Instagram. Um, and we connected because we were both kind of old souls. We like that retro look and feel, and so I was looking at his art, and uh, I, I like I just liked it. I just felt connected to him, and so I had him create our logo. Um, and it was it was one iteration, man. He didn't. There was no tweaks to it, like that. When I first saw it, I'm like, that's it. Uh, that's what I wanted to be. And from that point forward, from that till, you know, really a year later is when we started the idea of conceptualizing all these things. But I'll come up with the idea and you know, it's the story, right? George Brett's easy because of the, the, whole, uh, the whole pine tar game. Um, and I'll, I'll explain to him what, I, what I'm seeing, how I, I envision it. And then he just sketches it out and we go from there. Um, you know, the number four train is interesting because that started really as a Mickey Mantle conversation and we weren't sure what the story was going to be for Mickey Mantle. And then my brother-in-law is a huge Yankee fan, so I called him, and I knew the subway that ran behind Yankee Stadium. I just didn't remember the number uh, of the train. So I called my brother-in-law, and he said, that's the, the and I'm like, I called Bryce, hey, dude, scratch uh, Mickey Mantle right now. We just figured out what our Lou Gehrig is. And it's perfect, right, because he was the iron horse, the subway train, the number four train, runs the Yankee Stadium. Uh, it runs daily. Uh, and so that there's the uh, the premise for our for our Lou Gehrig story. So that's kind of how it all evolves usually.
1: So that's pretty cool. So how many of these do you have planned out in advance for for doing these t-shirts? I imagine the Hank Greenberg one came out kind of quickly with him recently passing away and whatnot. But how how far in advance are you working on these?
0: Now with the Greenberg one, we actually had we've had since last summer. The Millville meteor we had last summer. Uh, so we've come up with a lot of these things. Uh, we we have an Ernie Banks that I'm not really fond of right now. It's not. It's, it's fine, uh, but it's not one that, like, based on everything we've already done to date, I still kind of want to work on it a little bit. So it, it all depends, right? We, we're still trying to figure out what the right timing is for the release of stories. Um, and I think we're getting – we're starting to kind of find our footing when it comes to that. Uh, you know, because you're, you're talking about, you know, adding inventory. You're not reducing inventory on one end, but you're adding more. Uh, And we're a mom and pop shop. It's just us, Kim and I and the family running it out of our house. And um, so you have to find the right balance uh, when it comes to that. So uh, there are some that do come up sporadically that just come to to mind. I'm like, hey, Bryce, I need you to work on this because I'm thinking about it. Uh, The mantle one is one we've been trying to, we know the story, uh, what we want to tell, but it's coming up with the visual of it. And so we're kind of We've gone back and forth on this. This is the one that's really kind of tweaked us a little bit. Um, but we, we think we have something uh, in mind. And once everybody hears the story, it's kind of cool to, to kind of understand. Again, it's not just about, oh, Mickey Mantle, number seven. Uh, no, there's, there's going to be a graphic that tells the story that you, you, you will know because at every, every page that we have on our website, with every graphic, We explain the design and how we came to that design or why that design came to be so that you have the story to share
1: uh, in the future. What's the website? Bigflygear.com. Very simple. I like that. Very simple. Very yeah. simple. Um, and that's not it. Now you've got a a YouTube channel, the Rojas Family Chronicles. And I started watching some of that. And I'm like, I need more of this. Like, <laughs> just like maybe it's because I know you or or whatever. But I'm like, I got caught up in the first episode. I'm like, I need more of these. What what prompted you guys to decide we're gonna we're gonna show everybody everything about our family?
0: Yeah, and that's that's really that was really hard for me to overcome because I've always been an individual that uh, I was very guarded, maybe because of my dad and stuff like that. I just I never really wanted to one put myself out there to really showcase my family. I just, I just, you know, there's privacy barriers sometimes that you want to put up, but I think in 2020, I think it's made me and others think differently about, you know, life in general and um, how much you want to share and and being able to bring others into what's going on. And and truth be told with our circumstance from a baseball perspective, not working for four months. uh, And even when we started the season, not knowing what was going to happen the first weekend of the season, what happens? The Marlins, you know, they had a couple of guys that went out in Atlanta during the exhibition games, and all of a sudden, uh, they they got to suspend play. And so, is this going to trickle? Is this going to affect us? Is baseball going to stop? And so, that unknown, um, you know, being on that, that kind of that rocking boat, uh, really kind of made me think a little bit. Like this, this sucks. It's like every day you wake up, you know, all right, I'm going to work. Oh wait, now there's another game that's suspended. Are we going to be working? Are we going like, to suspend the game? Are we going to be done for the year? Am I gonna to have to go get another job? Uh, and so that's when I was walking with my daughter one morning out here in California, we just got into California, and I said, I asked her because they know all that stuff about YouTube and vlogs and, and stuff like that. And she said, I think it'd be kind of cool. I said I was looking at it from a standpoint of giving people insight of what our daily life is like and that that kind of that unknown. And it's evolved into now that baseball's kind of we think has settled down a little, little bit into a, a routine. Um it's it's about us and, and our life really apart because we live in Texas I'm in Southern California for the season I can't travel out of the state during the season because there are protocols in place by Major League Baseball and I don't want to do anything to to screw up you know my my income really because if I don't work a game I don't get paid uh-huh. uh, as an independent contractor and so we thought it'd be kind of cool to just uh video stuff on both sides and and kind of show you a little bit of what our life has been like you know the kids went back to school they're in school learning and so we showed that last week. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Big Fly Gear on the next episode that will drop on Sunday, kind of give you an nice idea of what we do, what it looks like at our house, and how Kim puts the packages together. So it's just little by little. You know, there are 10, 12-minute shows. That, uh, last week, I'm sorry, was how we do podcasts, from a home broadcast versus a uh, a visiting broadcast for us uh, two weeks ago was about the kids going back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what we've been doing. We're having fun with it. The kids love it. My wife hates it because she's got to do stuff on camera. I'm kidding. She's gotten really good at it. Now she's practicing and stuff. So I may have created a, a beast, uh, a YouTube beast in my wife that I never knew for, uh, for some years. So, uh, but I think everyone's having a good time kind of getting understanding of, uh, of who we are.
1: Where do you see baseball headed? Because I know there's been a lot of changes this year with the, you know, the rules and things like that. A lot of the old timers don't like anything that's going on. I personally love the seven inning double headers. I love the runner on second base, the, the three batter minimum, whatever. It doesn't really affect me either way. But I think baseball is trying to become progressive and make some changes. Where do you see this game headed right now?
0: That's a, that's a big question. Um Because I think baseball has a lot of problems, to be perfectly honest with you, on a number of different fronts. And I don't know if there's enough time on the show to really delve into them. But as as far as the game itself is concerned, um, I knew that 2020 was going to be the trial balloon, right? Because you've got a collective bargaining agreement that comes to an end in December of next year. And considering everything that played out this year and the limited amount of games you were going to have, you basically had a blank whiteboard to kind of mess around with things that you might want to try to implement going into a negotiation for next year or beyond next year. So I knew what, whatever happened this year, it was all going to be trial balloons, right? The, the rosters were already going to expand this year to 26. And there was no, no longer going to be the September call ups. Thank God. Cause that was an aberration. I mean, that was just the dumbest thing in the world that you play a season for five months one way. And then last month of the year, you bring up a thousand people. Right. Uh, that never made any sense to me. Uh, so that was going to change a little bit this year. And now, you know, it's 27-28 based on the pandemic, and I get it. Um, the 70, two 7-inning things, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Um, purists might, um, but I, I don't mind it. We just called a two 7-inning games the other day. I do have a, fact, a, a problem with that our second game of double header was three hours and 24 minutes. Now, that's a joke. Yeah, That goes back to the core of what's happening on the field, the problem on the field, the product itself. Uh, guys continuing to strike out at a higher rate. Pitchers, the inability to throw strikes consistently. Too many guys uh, walking. Uh, there's no action in the game. A lot of dead time. Um, but that goes back to, you know, this is the new way of thinking. And so I've, I'm, I'm caught in between because I am an old school soul and I believe in it. But I've also, I've evolved as, an, as I've gotten older and wiser and understanding things. I get it. Things, you have to evolve uh, in, in in life, uh, whether personally or professionally, it doesn't really matter. Otherwise, you're just going to be left behind. And so I understand the new line of thinking from an analytic standpoint to make you better. I'm at the point now, though, where I start questioning things. Um, you know, launch angle. What's the importance of launch angle? I mean, who cares? Who cares? Uh, Spin rate. Okay, great. He's got a great spin rate, but he can't throw a strike. So what is, who cares about the spin rate? Uh, so any, any number of those things that come up now, I start to question a little bit and push back. Because I look at it this way. If all of the new information that we are using today in analytics are based off of or premised off of historical data, what went right, what went wrong, right? Then why is the game today as bad as it is? Why, if, if the new information is supposed to make things better, more streamlined, more efficient, why is the game so bad? And why does it get progressively worse? And why do you get people complaining about it more so than you ever have before? Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm trying to wrap my head around. And I've, I've posed this question over the last couple of days to you know, people I trust in the industry, former GMs, former managers. Uh, and it's interesting. They, they all say the same thing, interesting points. You know? It's like we've got the greatest collection of talent on the field that perhaps at any point, I mean, if you look at every team, sure. There's, there's I mean, even the Saint, uh, Seattle Mariners who are going nowhere, their center fielder, Kyle Lewis. I love this kid. I mean, he's a stud. He's, he's every team has one or two unbelievable player. And then other pretty good players on that team. So you've, you, you can make an argument. You've got the best collection of young talent at any point in the game of baseball. Yet the game is as bad as it is. Why is that? Why is the mindset the way that it is? And so I, I don't know if owners have been, I don't know, snowed by the, the, the spreadsheets and the like uh, and the new mindset in the office, but I think there has to be not only for an office, there's got to be diversity. Of, and it can't just be one way or a highway. Um, any information you get has got to be used as a blueprint, not as an absolute. And it's got to be fluid in real time. Uh, you have to be able to make adjustments in game. It's a good thing that you have, you know, a stack of papers going into game number 157 of the year. But if the guy on the mouth's not executing or the guys in the, in the batter's box aren't executing, you've got to change. You have to evolve. You can't just sit there and say, well, the, the printout says X, Y, and Z, so that's what we're going to go with. No, I think, I think that's foolish and I think that needs to change.
1: Do you think the nastiness that the pandemic caused between both sides, looking like they weren't going to get anything done and millionaires and billionaires fighting actually helps get a collective bargaining agreement done without a work stoppage? Because I still think we're looking at some sort of work stoppage here in Major League Baseball.
0: I hope not. Uh, I don't, you know, you're not going to get a work stoppage until it would, it would happen beyond right year. Um, I, I would hope so look, Bob, there was, there was absolutely no reason whatsoever for the negotiations to have played out in public. None. None. The owners are the ones that brought it out to light and then, and then obviously it became this back and forth. There was zero reason to leak any information. None. And that's why you got to the point where you had distrust, misinformation, the back and forth, even just from a you know, they're going to do two 15-team leagues in bubble cities in Phoenix and in Texas or in Florida. The spring training side, I mean, there was so much information out there because, one, everybody had a lot of time on their hands because they weren't going to work.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Because it was being leaked. And I think that created, you know, the, the headbutting situation that we saw. You know what's funny is, is that once the season started, all of a sudden Major League Baseball's and Player Association announced a joint agreement on the expanded playoffs. Remember, that wasn't part of the original to get back to the field. They, they, they waved that off, and, but they, they made the announcement the first week of the season about the expanded playoffs. And how did that come to be? They actually got in a room and negotiated, didn't leak it, and then made the announcement. Uh-huh. What a novel concept. And it, it's, it shows that it's possible to get into a room between two parties and just negotiate in good faith. I I think it serves no purpose whatsoever to try to play the social media catch-up game of trying to leak information, try to get out in front of something. Because at the end of the day, you're you're not making yourself look good. It doesn't matter what you do. It's going to come back and haunt you. And it haunted both sides, ownership and the player side. It haunted both of them. And I hope that they learn from their mistakes this year going forward. I I thought initially, if you can go back to March, late March, early April, when they made the determination to come to the agreement on the, the salaries and the divvying up of money, the upfront money, and so on and so forth, that, okay, that was pretty quick, man. They did that in like a week's time, it seemed like. Uh, this is a good thing. This is Maybe this is a precursor to good things happening for the negotiation. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose uh, during the summer. So it's was like, uh, I was wrong. I, re- I misread that one completely.
1: Yeah. So what's next for you, man? You got the baseball announcer, You got a t-shirt company. You got a video deal you're doing. What's next for, uh, for Victor Rojas? I
0: don't know. Maybe I start a, a, a big fly barbecue place in Kansas City. There you know. go. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to go up head-to-head with Jones. you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not a good thing. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, we've got enough on our plate right now. Um, I love thinking outside the box, though. And so I really don't know, to be perfectly honest with you. I think we are still trying to be really good at what we are currently doing before delving into something else and doing it half-assed. And um, yeah, the fear of failure is what fuels me. You know, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. And so I want to make sure that I'm really good. Um, And more so because of my dad, I think, you know, it's like, you know, I'm Victor Oza Brogan. It's like I feel I still feel that whatever I do is always going to be a reflection on my mom and dad, um, and so I always try to think ahead and, and say things and do things, you know, with, with some thought and some action behind it, so that I never never put my parents in a position to think that I failed them or uh, the family name and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of what fuels me. So what's next? I don't know, man. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, as Buck Mar uh, not Buck Martinez, Buck Showalter says, keep on keeping on, man. I just uh, want to keep doing this right now and make sure that we uh, are doing it right and having fun doing it. When I'm done having fun, I'll, I'll you know, I'll make a left hand turn or a right hand turn and go in a different direction.
1: Victor really has the opportunity to do some cool things in life. He broadcasts for the Texas Rangers, the Anaheim Angels. He gets to watch Mike Trout every day. But I bet if you asked him, seeing the Royals and Chiefs win titles in the last five years has to be some of the biggest highlights of his life. Check out his stuff as well at BigFlyGear.com.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.